This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Jeremiah has been called the weeping prophet. And we can readily understand why from reading passages such as Jeremiah wrote in chapter 8, verse 18 and following. God has said, they know me not. That made Jeremiah so sad, even to the point of weeping. Why? What had the people done? Well, several things. They had forsaken the fountain for the cisterns. They had filled the temple with meaningless sacrifice and pagan worship. They had forced Jeremiah to flee for his life until he felt like he was really competing with horses. And once again in chapters 8 and 9, we see this prophet Jeremiah in the depths of anguish as he cries out in verse 18, When I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart is faint in me. Verse 20, Jeremiah says, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Harvest here is referring to the time of gathering the grain. That's April and April through June. And the summer, he mentions, is a time of gathering not grain but fruit. That was late summer and early autumn. He was saying that both of these seasons had gone and we're not saved. We didn't get any harvest from either of those. Then in verse 22, is there, any, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? There was a certain tree which grew in and around Gilead. It's called the Storax tree. From this tree came a certain rosin from which a healthier a healing salve was made. Therefore, Gilead was considered back in those days to be a medical center. It was a place uh, noted for physicians who gathered around Gilead. But the people had not availed themselves of the opportunity to be healed. And in chapter 9, verse 1 of Jeremiah, he continues to lament over his people. Oh, that my head were waters, my eyes were a fountain of tears, that I may weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And then in verse 2 of chapter 9 of Jeremiah, we have what I want to think of as our focal text for today. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they all be adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. What's Jeremiah asking for here? Back in Jeremiah's day, the caravan route was sparsely furnished. At night, travelers would gather at an inn uh, and tell stories, share experiences. These travelers had come from various places. Maybe the innkeeper would relate experiences which had happened to other travelers who had stopped there for previous evenings. On the next morning, these wayfarers would resume their journey, see the innkeeper would uh, know 
they were gone now. He would have no further responsibility for them. Jeremiah wanted fellowship, but he wanted no responsibility. He wanted to be a spectator, a looker-on. He wanted a, a balcony seat without, without having to get involved in the troubles of other people. Now, in all fairness to Jeremiah, we must realize this was just a passing desire for him. It was not a resolute determination. There's one thing, though, about Jeremiah's wish. This inn, the lodging place that Jeremiah wanted, and which we sometimes wish for today, that does not exist. And that's the subject of our thought for this morning. You can't run away. Many people down through the centuries have tried to run away. You know the story of Jonah. Oh, that's a classic example. How about Adam and Eve? They tried to run and hide from God in the garden. The psalmist who wrote in the 55th Psalm, Oh, that I had the wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. Lo, then I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Well, there are others who tried to run away too in Bible days. The idea that people can run away is an illusion. I remember a professor of, in seminary for whom I'm indebted so much insight into many of these Old Testament characters uh, said that there are three things you can't run away from. First, you cannot run away from your inner self. Many people try to do this. And often when we try to run away from ourselves, we find ourselves becoming dishonest with other people. From Quebec, Canada, uh, comes a story about a baker who purchased the butter which he used in his shop from a neighbor who was a farmer. After continuing for quite some time to buy his butter from this man, the baker began to get the idea that he was being cheated. And so he began weighing the butter he got from his farming neighbor every day. And sure enough, he found that every day the amount of butter he was paying for was getting smaller and smaller. So the baker had that farmer hauled into court for crooked dealing. In court, the judge asked this farmer just how he went about measuring the butter he sold to that baker. What kind of scale do you use, the judge asked. The farmer surprised the judge and the baker by admitting he didn't have any scales at all. The only thing I have, Your Honor, he said, is a pair of balances. Then he went on to explain, you see, when this man, the baker, started buying butter from me, I thought the courteous thing for me to do was to buy my bread from him. I always buy the one-pound loaf of bread. And so each day I take the one-pound loaf of bread that I've just bought, and I put it on one side of the balances, and then I measure out for him an equal amount of butter. And so, Your Honor, if he's, if he's getting less and less butter, it's because he's giving me less and less bread than I'm paying for. <laughs> yes, self has a way of doubling back on us. We can't run away. We don't have to live in a particular place on earth, but we do have to live with ourselves. Edgar Guest, a poet of many years ago, said it so beautifully in a little poem, I have to live with myself, and so I want to be fit for myself to know. I want to be able, as the days go by, always to look myself straight in the eye. 
I don't want to stand with the setting sun and hate myself for the things I've done. I don't want to keep on a closet shelf a lot of secrets about myself and fool myself as I come and go into thinking that nobody else will know the kind of man I really am. I don't want to dress myself up in sham. I want to go out with my head erect. I want to deserve all people's respect. But here in the struggle for fame and pelf, I want to be able to like myself. I never can hide myself from me. I see what others may never see. I know what others may never know. I never can fool myself. And so, whatever happens, I want to be self-respecting and conscience-free. Another thing you can't run away from, you can't run away from your sin. There's something about sin which punishes a person if it's given enough time. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Some time ago there came out on a newspaper the story about an animal slaughterhouse in Chicago. It seems that they had trouble getting the sheep to go down the long ramp which led them to be killed. And so they trained a goat to lead the way. This goat was so trained to lead the lambs just to the point of place where they were going to get killed. And then the goat was trained at the last possible moment that he would jump to a higher level and he would escape death. This intelligent goat was appropriately named Judas. All went well for a long while, and then one day, Judas forgot to jump to safety. When the scripture says that the wages of sin is death, that's not just a statement which may come true somewhere out there in the future. It is a law of life. And it's a law that we cannot break, though uh, we think we can. No, we can't break it. We break ourselves against it. Small sins. Some say, well, my sin, I'm not as bad a sinner as somebody else. We name the worst person we can think of. I don't do like that. There was a big steamer that years ago ran aground on some treacherous rocks. The steamer was totally wrecked. The captain of the ship was an experienced seaman, and there was no storm raging at the time of the tragedy. What was the cause? Investigation later proved that one of the sailors aboard had been cleaning some dirt from around the wooden box that contained the ship's compass. As he cleaned this dirt away with his knife, he accidentally broke off the tip end of the knife blade in the wooden housing holding the compass. He thought nothing of it at the time, but this small piece of metal was just enough to draw the magnetic compass off very slightly to the point that it steered the ship off course and onto the destructive rocks. That knife, tip of the knife blade was probably a, a fourth of an inch long or so, probably worth much less than two dollars. But the ship, which was caused by that piece of metal, was over 300 feet long, worth multiplied thousands, even millions of dollars. A third thing you can't run away from is the sovereignty of God. This is what Jonah tried to do, you know. Look at verse 3 of the first chapter of Jonah. 
All the emphasis is on what Jonah please, uh, uh, pleases, where he pleases to go. But Jonah uh, rose up from, to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare thereof and he went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Then we come to verse 4. But the Lord sent a great wind into the sea. Look at the parable Jesus told about the man who was called the rich fool. In Luke chapter 12, we read, and he said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. I'll say to my soul, Soul, thou hast many goods laid up for many years. Take thy ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Then the very next verse or two, verse 20 said, But God said, Thou fool, this night thy soul should be required of thee. You remember David the psalmist? Oh, he found he can't run away. I can't run away from God. He expresses that truth in the 139th Psalm. Let me read just a few verses from Psalm 139. Here's the words of David. You have looked deep into my heart, Lord, and you know all about me. You know when I'm resting or when I'm working, and from heaven you discover my thoughts. You notice everything I do and everywhere I go. Before I even speak a word, you know what I will say. And with your powerful arm, you protect me from every side. I can't understand all of this. Such wonderful knowledge is far above me. Where could I go to escape from your spirit or from your sight? If I were to climb up to the highest heavens, you'd be there. If I were to dig down to the world of the dead, you'd also be there. Suppose I had wings like the dawning day and flew across the ocean. Even then, your powerful arm would guide and protect me. Or suppose I said, I'll hide in the dark until night comes to cover me over. But you see in the dark because daylight and dark are all the same to you. I've been told that travelers to the Yellowstone Park in Wyoming tell us that the Yellowstone River follows the road all along a long drive from the lake down to the canyon. And if the road turns, then the river turns. The road was built alongside the river. If the river changes its course, the road turns with it. I think this is a beautiful picture of God's love. It never leaves us. You can't run away from God or from his love. One little girl expressed it so beautifully when she said, God loves us so much, he just can't take his eyes off of us. No, you can't run away from God, from his sovereignty. You see people today who seem to have no care for God, so no place for God in their lives. But God has not yet had his final say. Someone said God lets the devil have a lot of rope, but God still holds the end of it. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, knew that he could not be a spectator, nor could he take a seat up in the bleachers. He could, he could not have that end, that wayfaring large end for people somewhere out in the desert. No, Jeremiah had too great a love for God and for his fellow man. I wonder if we've been guilty of desiring a comfortable place also in life, 
when God has work for us to do. Many years ago, there was a young recruit who was uh, assigned to a Coast Guard station somewhere along a rugged spot on the Atlantic coast. He was glad to have this assignment for he knew that offshore from his station, there were a lot of rough waters and that would surely mean action for him. Well, one night, a fierce winter storm raged. The wind howled, the snow beat upon the glass and the observation tower overhead, and the men sitting in quiet isolation down below in the barracks prayed for their comrades who were out on the high seas. And just then, the radio began to sputter. It was their call, and the message read that just a mile or so off coast, a ship was floundering in distress. The word was quickly passed. Each man donned his gear and he rushed to his assigned place. Again and again, they tried to launch rescue boats, but all to no avail. The storm was just too great. Finally, the young recruit came up to his commanding officer and said, Sir, don't you think we'd better abandon our attempt to go out there? We can never get back from that raging sea. The old commanding officer drew himself up to his full height and looked down at the raw recruit and said, Sailor, we don't have to come back, but we do have to get out there. Just so it is in our life as Christians, we don't have to be comfortable, well-off, complacent up in the bleachers, but we do have to be out in the field, in the thick of the game, in the storms of life even, if we're going to continue to say that we love the Lord and want his kingdom to come among men. Oh God, we know we can't run away from your command for us. We try to, all of us do in different ways. Help us to know that wherever you call us to go, you will go with us. We're never alone. Thank you for this calm assurance that we have from you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.